You're listening to Live with the League, part of the We Love Where You Live podcast series brought to you by the Michigan Municipal League. All right. Well, welcome, everyone, to another edition of Live with the League. I am Matt Bach, Assistant Director of Strategic Communications with the Michigan Municipal League. And we got a, a special show today. We're going to dive into some federal issues, uh, what's going on, the latest with the stimulus uh, package uh, for communities in D.C., and also the latest news out of Lansing on the budget. Um, so we'll be joined uh, with by our Lansing team here in a few minutes. Uh, also, if you have any questions for any of us uh, on the panel, feel free to post them in the chat. Or if you're watching this on Facebook, uh, post them in the comments and we'll get to them as soon as we can. So I have very, two spe very special guests today. I have uh, Westland Mayor uh, Bill Wild, uh, also the president of the Michigan Municipal League Board of Trustees with us. And we have Mike Wallace from the National League of Cities. He is the legislative director uh, for community and economic development for the National League of Cities. So uh, we'll start off with Mayor Wild. Uh, Mayor, you've been very busy on our behalf and, and behalf of our members uh, throughout the state in DC of late. Uh, there was a fly-in, uh, virtual fly-in, I should say, uh, with uh, you and our CEO and some others uh, met with uh, congressional leaders. And you've been fighting very hard to try to get a, another stimulus package that, that provides direct, flexible funding to communities. Why has this been such a, a passion for you and, and what's some of the things you've been able to uh, uh, do so far? Well, well, thank you, Matt. And thanks everybody for joining us today. And uh, Matt, that was our first virtual fly-in. So Dan and I actually got the drive. We got to fly first class. Yeah, fly first class because from the comfort of your own uh, office. <laughs> but um, so, you know, it, it's a pleasure working uh, on behalf of the league. We, we're, we're working hard for our, you know, our member communities across Michigan. And, you know, and as, uh, you know, the president introduced uh, the, the most recent uh, COVID uh, recovery bill, the 1.9 trillion, there was uh, 350 billion in there for state and local government. So um, I know that the league and Dan was uh, part of a team that was working uh, behind the scenes to make sure that that stayed in. And, and I know that we asked our members all across Michigan to uh, to push our local delegation to, to keep that in. And, um, you know, it, it is important. And, uh, you know, a lot of communities did receive some federal CARES Act dollars, uh, but they were very restrictive. And you know, at the end of the day, not every community did receive them. Um, you know, Westland was was fortunate to receive some, but it was very restrictive. And, and I think that we did a good job of getting those dollars into the community. But you know, the, this is different. This this bill actually is going to bring money back to every community, and this is going to help uh, the communities, um, you know, move forward with. You know, every community right now has a lot of unrealized revenue and, and moving forward, it's only going to get worse, you know, as we mail out our summer tax bills to businesses that are no longer in, in business and, and people that, you know, that are facing foreclosure and, you know, our revenues across the border are down. The state's done a pretty good job of kind of propping up communities uh, in the current budget year, but uh, we, we, we know and, and we anticipate a long tail on, on uh, the, the losses to communities. So um, it's been a pleasure advocating uh, for Michigan communities and, and being a strong advocate for my own community. And what, what has been nice is, uh, you know, that, that since the election is that um, we actually have had a lot more uh, fruitful conversations where I think we banged our head against the wall for a long time, but um, under the current administration, 
I think that they see the, the need for communities and um, moving forward, uh, there's, there's not a community in Michigan, there's not a community in the, this, the, the nation uh, that's, that's not gonna feel long tail on this. So uh, it's been my pleasure to advocate in, in Washington and, and Matt, you've been lining up a lot of media and uh, the message is out there and I think that uh, it's been received well. Yes, yeah, thank you. You just did an interview over the air yesterday on Michigan Matters uh, out of CBS Detroit, where you talked about your work with the, the league and also uh, what's happening in Westland. Also, uh, I believe Mayor Waterman from Pontiac, our, our board mm -hmm. vice president, was on, on the conversation as well. So it's good to see that that media out there. Uh, Mike, let's let's uh, shift you. Can I, so explain a little bit. Uh, the mayor mentioned the $1.9 trillion package with $350 billion. Uh, specifically for communities. Um, how is this money maybe different than what we've seen in the past? Yeah, uh, thank you, Matt. Thank you, Mayor. Um, so the, the this funding um, is different in a lot of ways, perhaps most significantly. Uh, the biggest difference is that it's going to actually reach every city, town, and village uh, in every state, which, which is a, a huge improvement over the CARES Act, Coronavirus Relief Fund, or others. Uh, and I want to thank the Michigan Municipal League for being really instrumental in helping us figure out a way to convince Congress to, to, for the first time ever, deliver formula allocations, formula grants to all 19,000 cities, towns, and villages. That's, that's never been done before, and it, and it took a lot of convincing um, of our uh, federal lawmakers that it was possible. You saw with the CARES Act, uh, they limited direct payments to those cities with more than 500,000 residents and, the, and the, the rest of the cities and towns had to, had to barter and beg their uh, city, their states and their counties to, to try to get some relief for, for their residents and some support for government operations. Um, the last uh, emergency assistance package that passed uh, included a emergency rental assistance program, but even that program only went directly to cities with 200,000 or more residents. So it was a, a really a big challenge to get it, uh, to create a way to get that funding down to every locality. What we ended up doing was building uh, something on top of the CDBG program, which, which goes annually directly to, to all cities, 50,000 and over, and then through the states to, um, to smaller communities. But a couple of key differences here, it's not the CD, CDBG program, it's just built on top of that. Um, so funding, uh, uh, so of the 350 billion, I guess I should say, um, mm -hmm. uh, about 65 billion is being set aside specifically for uh, municipal governments, the 19,000 cities, towns, and villages. Um, that's an equal amount to, to another 65 billion that's going to go to all, all counties. Um, the division there is it follows the CDBG formula. So about 45 billion of that will be set aside for all cities over 50,000 residents. And about 20 billion is set aside specifically for uh, cities, towns, and villages with less than 50,000 residents. But the key here is that there's no minimum population threshold. So every Every, uh, every locality is going to receive um, some share of funds. Now, uh, you know, NLC estimates cities and towns are, um, are revenues have declined by about $90 billion, one, one year revenues. This, this program uh, would provide $65 billion. So this, this is not a one for $1 replacement of lost revenue by any stretch of the imagination, 
But what it is, is it's a lifeline to help local governments maintain operations. The other key difference from the CARES Act is that this funding can be used to address lost revenues, revenue replacement. It specifically could not be used for that under the CARES Act. We uh, made a convincing argument to Congress that really that was the number one challenge right now uh, to, to maintain municipal operations, to stop those um, furloughs and layoffs from happening. And so this funding can, can be used for that. And we think it'll, it'll um, help a lot there. Uh, and the, have, and the, mayor, the mayor touched on that too. He said, you know, we have a number of businesses that are closed up. And so we anticipate, you know, a reduction in property uh, uh, tax revenue from that. And also we have uh, 24 cities in Michigan that collect the local income tax. And with mm -hmm. those, those employees that would normally try to drive into the cities and work, they would pay a portion. And now they're worried about that. So those kind of backfill things is what you're talking about. They can Exactly. Help yep. Th those kinds of things. But it's also, it's no more, it won't be more restrictive than the CARES Act. So you can also use it to help residents in distress, small businesses in distress. You can continue with those functions. Um, but I think it's important is you can use this funding for replacement loss revenue, essentially to support basic day-to-day -day, uh, government operations at the local level, which we know, um, you know, cities have been operating on a shoestring budget. And we've seen, in, you know, in the, in the winter freeze in the South, but other national emergencies where, um, you know, in, a, in conditions like this, where budgets are really short, you take what could be in normal circumstances, just a setback, those setbacks become crises really quickly if you don't have municipal staff uh, that, that you can rely on to get out there and manage those um, yeah. situations. So, and what, so oh, go, ahead. go ahead. I'm sorry, fin finish your thoughts. Just the last thing I want to say, uh, I have the um, Congress ran some estimates, some rough drafts of, of what uh, each state and localities would be getting out of this, these bills. So I just wanted to mention Michigan stands to receive about 10 billion in total of that 350 billion of that amount, um, about 4 billion, about 5 billion is going to go to the state for state aid and about right. 4 billion is set aside for all all uh, cities and counties. And so if you take that and split it in half, um, all the municipalities in Michigan uh, stand to split about a little over $2 billion uh, in support. That has no expenditure deadline. Uh, so oh. potentially uh, you, you could hold on to that funding for multiple years, especially if you know a revenue, uh, declining revenue has yet to hit, you know, so something right. like property tax, you yeah. don't have to immediately spend it this year. Okay, well, that's nice because a lot, a lot of times those have like you deadlines, you got to spend it in the next six months, and you're like, what am I going to spend? How am I going to spend this money that quickly? Right. So, uh, well, thank you. And um, you did mention, I appreciate you mentioning the league and the work we've done on this. Uh, I, and I know we're not done. Uh, there was uh, some activity that happened over the weekend. Mike, can you explain a little bit that? And then what uh, Mayor Wild has lined up later this week with, uh, with the White House? Sure. Well, well, where we're at now is that. Um, the the house it's the bill's almost through with the house process right so all the different subcommittees marked up their sections of the bill in addition to local aid this bill includes uh this rec this um patent new package includes funding for housing for transit support for really all the different categories of things um cities need to keep residents stabilized through through the shutdown and then get them to to re-enter the workforce when when the different restrictions are lifted 
Um, the budget committee uh, has has those different pieces now. They're stitching it together. They're going to vote on it uh, early this week, and then the full house will take a vote on it either a, a late Friday or early Saturday, depending on how quickly they can they can move it to the floor. So that's the next big big vote we're looking at. Is at the end of this week, the house the house will vote on it, and that and that's uh, what we need folks to advocate for uh, this week. Uh, next month, next week, and next month, the Senate will take it up. We expect they'll they'll make some changes to it, um, but we want to make sure that those changes don't uh, don't hurt or restrict the ways that uh, localities can receive and and spend these funds. Right. Yeah, and that that would be so. We're talking very quickly. This 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 could happen. Um, so, it, what are some of the ways you mentioned that you know we still need still need support at the local level? What are the some ways our members can, can help with this process? Yeah, well, the easiest way would be to, go to visit nlc.org and uh, click the advocacy tab. We have a, a, a pre-filled out letter that, that you can just enter your information into and, and hit send. It'll go to your delegation. But I tell you, the, the biggest um, obstacle that we're facing right now, the headwinds we're facing now, are lots of different reports coming uh, sh showing that state state revenues are doing better than expected. It's not the same as they're doing well, but they're doing uh, better than expected. Uh, and, and Congress conflating state revenues with local revenues. We, we know that state revenues rely much more so on things like capital gains taxes, and they're much more tied to, to how well the market's doing. But local governments rely really on the performance of the middle class and low wage earners, because it's all properties tax, income tax, fees for services. Uh, in a nutshell, if the middle class is struggling, local budgets will be struggling too. Uh, and it, it really, you know, it's really much more Main Street based than Wall Street based. Uh, we have to continue to hammer that home because people uh, see the state revenue doing well, they'll automatically assume cities are doing okay. Uh, and, and we have to overcome that perception and, can, and, just, and the best way to do that is just to continue telling our story. Okay, well, that, that, that's great. We did post the link that uh, Mike mentioned, the nlc.org advocacy is in the chat. And if you have any questions for our uh, two guests here, feel free to post them. We do have one and I may, we may have to ask Chris Hackbarth to join us on it, but the question is, um, what is the statewide expenditure for revenue sharing? Can we assume revenue based on that formula? So I think you were talking about the CBDG, community block grant formula and being used. And, and I did want to ask a question on that. Let's say you don't have a community block grant program in your community. Are you still, you still would get this based on that formula? Yeah, so I, get, I here's how it's modified. So if, you, if you're a community that gets CDBG now, you will get your, um, your grant out of this emergency fund directly from the Department of Treasury. They will, they will make it directly available to you to draw down on. One of the things we wanted to do as a result of what we saw in the CARES Act was really minimize the possibility of state interference in, uh, in the use of these funds for localities. Um, because you know, in, in some states, you know, we're more generous to localities than others. Uh, and we really wanted to, to, to make sure that cities spent these funds in the way they thought uh, would help their residents best. So. 50,000 and above, you'll get it directly from treasury. The uh, formula calculates a lump sum uh, for all of the remaining lo uh, local governments in your state. The state government will receive um, one lump sum payment and uh, the bill very specifically says uh, that the state shall uh, allocate those funds per capita down to every locality that didn't get it directly. So for the, 
the under 50,000 residents, um, the, the, the allotment will be allocated according to population. Okay. And Chris, did you want to chime in about the part of related to revenue sharing? Or just with respect to the question, statutory revenue sharing, revenue sharing is about $260 million total statewide. Uh, that's for uh, cities, villages, and townships only, not counties. Um, and that obviously is, is, has a, a completely separate allocation to what Mike, Michael mentioned here uh, in terms of the non-CDBG eligible communities that will receive a, a pro rata share. Uh, that'll be uh, similar to how our constitutional revenue sharing payments go out. Okay. All right, good. Uh, just got to, do we know, Mike, the question is, can we access published estimates of how much we are likely to receive? Is there a list out there that communities could access to see, or, or is it not broken down that far? There is, there is, uh, but I, I'll caution you, um, uh, the list is not perfect. It's a, it's a revenue estimates for each locality that the Congressional Research Service put together for Congress. Um, it is not the same thing that, that will ultimately go out. Ultimately, uh, the Treasury Department will stand up its own program and use the latest census figures available to it to, to make the determinations on how much funding will go out. So, uh, so I encourage you, you know, uh, we've shared that list with the leagues and, and, uh, and um, you know, you can put my email up on the, on the chat and you can ask me directly and I'm happy to send you send you that Excel sheet that shows all the allocations. But uh, if you see any discrepancies on there, or you know, if, if something doesn't look quite right, I just wanna let you know that these are estimates for Congress. It's not the same as the actual program that's gonna be put together after the bill passes. So I wouldn't spend a whole lot of energy um, you know, tr trying to get these estimates looking correctly because you have to do it all over again right. when, Treasury, when the Treasury puts their program together. And, and we're gonna be working very closely with Treasury and each, each state league um, to make sure that Treasury is aware of any um, anomalies uh, that may be in your state that isn't addressed in the underlying legislation. There's not many, but there are a few and, and we're, we're aware, with, aware of them. Yeah. Well, and the other thing, Matt, I think is important here too, just when looking at this estimate, it's an estimate where things are today or where they were over the weekend. Right. You know, there's, this is not done yet. And as we right. know, making sausage, uh, things can change over the course of the, the next 24 hours, let alone the next three weeks. So Right. And, and a lot of our communities are, are getting ready to do their budget or in the middle of budgeting. So I know this is important to have these revenues. So it's, it's, it's difficult for sure. I, I don't uh, envy the situation of the managers are in trying to figure out what the revenues are going to be like for the upcoming year. Right. It's going to be very difficult. Um, so uh, with that, uh, Mayor Wild, I do know uh, you do have a meeting uh, coming up later this week with the um, uh, U.S. Uh, tre uh, Treasury Secretary uh, Janet Yellen. Um, you're, it's going to be you and a small group of mayors. Tell us a little bit of what you can about that um, and what, why that meeting is important. Well, as, as, as you can see, as Mike laid out, this is going to be a very important week uh, on, on, on this legislation and this money in Washington. So. Um, I'm encouraged that, uh, that, first of all, that the secretary uh, wants to hear from the mayors. Um, so I, I expect that we'll have a, you know, I expect it to be a friendly audience as uh, the president and, you know, um, Nancy Pelosi and down that they've been very supportive of this to this point. Um, but what I'm really encouraged about is that the, the secretary wants to hear from the communities. And I know that as uh, they're, they're working through these funds, we'll, we'll be delivering a lot of those messages like 
like Mike had mentioned earlier about making sure that at the last minute there are no uh, significant changes to how the money can be used and um, how the state's going to be able to, uh, you know, put their stamp on it. And I think at the end of the day for communities under $50,000, if their allocation goes to the state, they're going to want to make sure that the state, uh, it's very clear that how quickly the state has to deliver those dollars back to the communities. So um, I expect to, to have a, a, a good conversation and uh, I think it's good to have uh, um, I'll, I'll just speak on behalf of Michigan, Michael, is that I think it's good that Michigan's at the table. And uh, for my community, I think it's good that Westland's at the table with this conversation. Thank you. Right. And one thing you mentioned uh, uh, kind of related to one of the questions on here, which is strings are always attached to grants. Is this one going to be more flexible and less reporting? And Marywild, you mentioned earlier, or I think, Mike, you mentioned that some communities might be able to pass on some of these dollars to businesses to help them get restarted. And I know, Mary, you're kind of already looking at doing some things like that. Yeah, and, and that's the part that, that can't get lost, you know, when, when uh, you know, Congress was looking at state revenues or, 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 you know, doing better, is that every community's get a little bit different. Uh, I mean, there's, there's need in every community, but some communities may have uh, the wherewithal to, um, to, to put most of their money back into the community, whether it be through small businesses or or other avenues, some communities are, are going to need it to, to keep the lights on. So um, I think that, um, you know, every community is going to have a different need. I, I think that uh, the local leaders, uh, you know, have been on the front lines of this for the last 12 months. Uh, I think that, that they're encouraged that uh, the federal government now sees uh, that they need funds to, to keep up the front line. So um, I'm, I've, I've been encouraged at this point with, with just about everything that I've heard on this. And, and uh, Mayor Wild, uh, Mike mentioned it about this, the flexibility and how different communities are gonna need to use that money differently just based on their situation. And this really does give them, I mean, like to answer the question, you know, strings are always attached for grants. Are, are there strings with this? Should this become reality as it currently stands? Right. I mean, it depends on your definition of stream, but, but this this will be by far the most flexible uh, formula grant funding that's ever been provided uh, to, to municipalities. So, uh, you know, broadly, what the bill says is that cities can use these funds to address um, losses related to COVID, whether they're uh, public health losses, fiscal losses, um, and very specifically, it says it can be used for revenue replacement. So th those are just really broad categories uh, that that uh, that should allow you the flexibility to spend it as, as, uh, as you think makes most sense. Now, once this bill passes, it will go to the Treasury Department. If you recall in the CARES Act, uh, the Treasury released rolling guidances, uh, you know, in the effort to get the funding out as quickly as possible. Uh, they didn't want to wait to perfect the program before making the funding available. That'll be the case here too. We don't want them to spend six months perfecting a program uh, when we nearly need the funding to get out immediately. And so, right. and so they'll provide some, some additional guidance, but it'll still follow um, those broad categories. And, and uh, as far as, as uh, reporting requirements and that sort of thing, uh, as a practical matter, you know, no agency is equipped to really oversee uh, 19,000 different grantees in a year. But I, uh, I, my word of advice here 
is that a lot, much like FEMA grants, I, ex I expect that inspectors will be looking at how these funds are spent for, for years and maybe decades to come. So you really do want to make sure that your, your expenditures are in line with, uh, with what uh, Treasury and, and what Congress intended. Okay, we have a, a, a question kind of related to that. You mentioned about, you know, hopefully it won't take six months to have them go through the rules and regulations. What is the expected timing for the final package? Also, are there any other stimulus funds and, and such as infrastructure investment that could be available for communities? Right, so, so the timing is what, you know, we expect um, that this package, if it, if it makes it to the president's desk, it will get there before March 14th. March 14th is when the enhanced unemployment uh, insurance uh, provisions expire, the current program expires and, and to right. avoid a gap in those enhanced benefits, um, they're really trying to pass it as early as March 8th if they can, um, but certainly before the 14th. Uh, the bill says that Treasury has 30 days to get this funding out to the uh, to the entitlement communities, those over 50,000 residents. The state, the bill says states shall allocate their portion to the rest of the municipalities uh, within 30 days. But um, it does allow for states, if, if so, states can request a, uh, a delay on that, and essentially it lays out a process um, that ultimately, if went to to the, if they use their full discretion, they could hold on to it for 120 days. We, we think that's too long, but that's, that's the best we could get in, in this bill. Um, but at, if the state does not get it out by, uh, at the end of that 120 days, they start facing real penalties. The, the bill says treasury can start clawing back money from the state, from the state's portion, uh, if they fail to deliver to the, to the small localities. Okay. Good. I just have one other comment from Facebook. It's more of a comment than a question. Uh, it says from Andrew, it says, thank you, Mayor Wild and the MML for being the voice of Michigan cities and villages in Washington, D.C. We appreciate all the hard work to get our communities the support they need to help us to continue to provide services to our residents. So I do know that our, our members are appreciative of, of your work, uh, Mayor Wild, and, and also Mike, of course, in, in D.C. So I think that wraps up with the questions. Any other uh, points I should I should uh, ask you guys about that I may have missed? I just want to mention that NLC's uh, Congressional City Conference is coming up March seventh through tenth, and um, we're going to have the you know congressional leadership there. Speaker Pelosi, Leader Schumer are um, have agreed to come speak uh -huh. uh, to our conference. And importantly, uh, really March tenth is our virtual Hill Day. So you heard uh, Mayor Wild and. And uh, the league joined us for for our uh, our Hill Day a couple of weeks ago. Those are those are very important. Um, but at this uh, this upcoming virtual Hill Day during our conference may be the most important one we've ever had because we could be doing those meetings just as uh, the House and Senate are passing the reconciliation bill for the last time right before it goes to the president. So it, it yeah, it could could be, be quite a newsworthy right. week, couldn't it? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> So yeah, so it, why is that important for them to attend? I think we currently have about 20 uh, Michigan uh, delegates and, and league staff signed up for that. Why is that important to attend this conference and how does that make a difference for the work you do? Yeah, well, so in terms of advocacy, it, it's uh, it's absolutely essential uh, that, that we do these things. So we're in a new session of Congress. We have a number of new members. Uh, in our experience, unless, uh, um, 
unless a federal lawmaker has ever held local elected office, they probably don't know much about the day-to-day -day operation of cities and may we may have to help them figure out, disabuse them of bad notions about, about local authority and, and uh, um, things like tax and, exp um, and expenditure limitations, you know, and just all those sorts of things. Uh, it's, it's hard to go and ask for help if, if people really don't know what the circumstances you're operating under are. So it's just imperative that, that we continue to educate Congress about, um, about the responsibilities of local governments and the obstacles and challenges that, that they have to overcome every day. It'll be helpful for, for this emergency spending bill, but it's really helpful for every bill that comes out of Congress because we're constantly, you know, just like you at the state level, constantly pushing back against preemptions and unfunded mandates uh, and other things that may be well-intentioned but would have a devastating effect at the local level. So, so that's yeah. why it's important to advocate, but, you know, we're also having um, programs on, on, you know, affordable housing, uh, affordable housing programs, eviction prevention programs, transit programs, you know, we're, we're sort of on the cusp here of moving from all the restrictions of the pandemic to, to reopening our economies. Congress has poured billions into efforts to stabilize households so that, you know, and, and to, so that people don't get evicted and so that people are prepared to really re-enter the workforce as soon as possible. And this conference is really focused on that and, and talking about how local elected officials can play a role to continue connecting residents to these, these uh, federal programs to help them, uh, but really to get them to re-enter the workforce and and continue on the path of economic mobility that really stalled out as a result of, of COVID-19. Right, and uh, I should mention, we did post a link to the National League of Cities, uh, Congressional Cities Conference in the chat, and it is virtual. So yes. if, if cost of you know, tr travel and flying and hotels was a deterrent in the past, you don't, you don't have yeah. that excuse this year. So it's just the registration fee, which is I, I looked at as seems very reasonable. Uh, for such a, an outstanding lineup of programming. So Mike, I, I appreciate you joining us. Uh, Mayor Wild, thank you, thank you so much. And I think you guys might be standing by. We'll, we'll switch gears to the Lansing team. Uh, so if you guys could uh, bring your cameras up and we'll start talking with you guys. Uh, start with you, Chris. Anything you heard from uh, Mike and Mayor that you want to just kind of reiterate or, or expand on? Well, I think I think what they mentioned is, is so important. We've been obviously working and, and John and I and Harrison and John have, have been working on this issue of a additional stimulus support since the original CARES Act came, you know, came to into being last spring, early summer, uh, and you know, just trying to. I mean, there's been ups and downs, John. <laughs> wouldn't you say we've been on a roller coaster? One minute we're thinking uh, there's a stimulus providing local aid, and the next minute, uh, you know, it's it's gone. And so this is probably the furthest along we feel in terms of. Of having some sense that that there is some direct local aid coming that will help communities below 500,000 in population, and I think that's so important uh, that we look at and, and what we're doing and, and member engagement, sharing that story. And if there was one thing we've seen, there really is in a lot of the the conversation at the federal level. There's a lot of talk about well, states don't need it. There are states that are doing better than they expected. You know, mm -hmm. states this, states that. There hasn't been a lot of conversation about the impact on local governments and really creating that distinction between state revenues and local revenues and, and especially here in Michigan, how restrictive and how limited uh, and some of the direct impacts, uh, especially when we talk about our income tax cities, uh, what's been happening to those communities as a result of the pandemic. So I think that's, uh, you know, that is the most important part of sharing your story, making sure you're, 
your congressman, your congresswoman knows exactly how the pandemic has been impacting your community and, and potentially could impact it as we move forward and look at you know, property value impacts. Right. Well, that's, well, that's good. So yeah, if members, please uh, go through. We did post some chats in the chat, some ways that you can uh, send letters to your congressional leaders and, and advocate support for this. So uh, of course, it's also been a very newsworthy uh, couple of weeks with the state budget um, since our last uh, Live with the League show on uh, February 8th, I believe it was, uh, the governor came out with her budget proposal. Uh, Chris, tell us a little bit about that and uh, you know where things stand in that process. This is one of those where I think all of us uh, kind of across the team were looking at this budget going, huh, there's, there's quite a bit in here for local government to get excited about. Um, from a state budget perspective, especially given kind of the overall atmosphere that we're looking at for, for the state's economy and revenues and, and the pandemic situation. You know, on the revenue sharing side, obviously, they, they did include a 2% increase in statutory revenue sharing. Uh, so that was, you know, that was a pleasant surprise. Uh, it's not obviously a restoration of, of cuts in any means, but it is a, a continued, uh, continued growth given, again, the state's uncertain revenue picture. Uh, the, you know, the, from a larger perspective on the revenue sharing side, not necessarily revenue sharing side, but uh, as I mentioned, our income tax communities, we have 24 cities in Michigan uh, utilize an income tax to help fund their budgets, their local budgets. And those communities are being hit immediately due to the pandemic because of uh, non-resident uh, remote workers. And the fact that the state and federal income tax code uh, taxes unemployment benefits, but the city income tax doesn't. So all of those you know, high level of, of unemployment rates across the state for the past year have really impacted the bottom line for those cities. Uh, so we're, uh, we were very pleased. We've been talking about this obviously as part of our community stabilization plan in Lane Duck. Uh, we're very pleased that uh, the governor kind of put the first marker out there uh, having $70 million available for those communities. Uh, and you know, we're working right now through the process, been meeting uh, on a daily basis with the House and Senate general government budgets uh, subcommittee members. Uh, the, in fact, the House general uh, government budget subcommittee meets tomorrow to go through the governor's recommendation on the treasury budget uh, where revenue sharing and this money is housed. Uh, there's also some funding in here. The governor put uh, uh, a, a set of dollars available for uh, recruitment of uh, first responders, recruitment and training to help communities who have had trouble recruiting first responders and public safety personnel. Uh, so that's important, uh, you know, and, and again, kind of when we go across the across the board through the budgets, and I know each of the team here will talk about the pieces in, in that they're tracking, but we saw positive, uh, you know, positive line items kind of across the board here for our members. Uh, so we're very excited to, to see this shake out over the course of the next few months. Obviously, the budget process uh, is between now and the spring break period when we see the legislature kind of put their first stamp on things. And then after the spring break, as they move into May and get the next revenue conference and see what the state's uh, revenue picture looks like, that's when they will then work after that to finalize things in June, uh, hopefully before the 4th of July. Okay, and now you mentioned, the, uh, you mentioned the income tax issue already. What about with revenue sharing? What are we looking at uh, under the governor's plan for that, both statutory and constitutional? So statutory, uh, as I mentioned, is a 2% increase uh, in the budget uh, proposal. Uh, and I haven't heard any, any concerns on that front. Uh, obviously, we will continue to, to work on, on processes to provide additional restoration of that. Uh, the constitutional side is a little bit interesting. Obviously, 
constitutional revenue sharing flows on a per capita basis to all cities, villages, and townships across the state and is a direct earmark off of the actual state collections for uh, for revenue sharing, or sorry, for sales tax. So it's very difficult to predict what the actual collections will be. Certainly as we look at uh, where the state was in August of last year, when they had the special revenue conference in August, they had no expectation that kind of the, some of the sales tax revenues would, would come in as strong as they did after that revenue conference. So we had a very strong year for local governments from a constitutional revenue sharing, sharing standpoint last year. Um, as they're looking forward this year, uh, they're looking at things being up from August, but kind of down uh, potentially from where we ended up at the end of the year. Again, it's it's a complete unknown right now uh, where we'll end up, but it should be right around the point uh, where we thought we'd be in, in August of last year, potentially down a little bit from what members actually saw come in. It really depends. You know, will we see more federal stimulus come out? Will people have more disposable income uh, from the, from any direct stimulus checks? How like will the these- CARES Act money and right, that right. You know, these December, these December uh, stimulus with the uh, direct payments in there, how will that impact spending for residents? And what will we see in terms of, of that income going out into the economy through sales tax? Uh, so those are, those are some of the unknowns that we won't, have a real good picture of until members get those actual payments and once we see what May's revenue conference. Okay, well, good. Well, I know there was a lot of different moving parts to the governor's budget proposal and Harrison, I want to talk to you about a couple of the things you're working on uh, or following it. And there were some uh, allocations in there for public safety funds, for training, crisis response. Could you explain a little bit what that is and, and what our members could possibly get from, from that? Sure, Matt. And I just want to echo what Chris said too. Like this is definitely a very robust and almost I'd call it a problem solver's budget, if you will, coming out from the governor. There were a lot of investments and in things that have been ongoing issues and, and points of interest for our members. And as we continue the conversation, both on public safety and some of the other highlights I've mentioned, I think it's really good to see proactive dollars going to fix needs that we have in our communities and help our local communities, especially with the resources that they have. Uh, to really make sure that everything's working, everything is consistent, and with the experiences that we've had recently that we're responsive. I'm talking mostly about the $10.2 million that the governor has allocated to crisis response for lo local law enforcement, well, law enforcement across the state, actually, all 19,000 officers. If we go back to 2019, the Michigan Joint Task Force on Pretrial Incarceration made a list of recommendations that included everything from how we manage our county jails, how we manage information, um, digitally as the county, as the local courts, and then also to general operations and training for our law enforcement personnel. And so 10.2 million is going to be broad, but it's going to really fulfill that recommendation from the task force for law enforcement to be trained on crisis response and in addition incentivize partnerships between law enforcement and treatment providers to divert health, to divert people with health, uh, behavioral health issues away from the justice system both pre and post arrest. So we know for our local units, a lot of our folks are having interactions with the justice system with local police. Those dollars can be used there. And then also when folks are trans transitioning out of the justice system, as we get folks back into place in their communities in a position where they weren't recidivate, having those, those investments in funding and treatment is really, really important as well. So we're really excited to see that. And in addition to the funds that Chris mentioned, money going to ensure that we can train and retain talent that we have in our local communities as our public safety officers uh, and continue that there as well. Okay. 
And another issue I know you follow uh, deals with you know, the Great Lakes high water level issues and also dam safety. Chris, uh, we saw the, that was the problem there in Midland over the summer. What's, uh, what's some of the allocations in, in those areas? Yeah, we were really excited about this one because last uh, year we had COVID-19, obviously. There was 40 million that was proposed in the budget back then to support the high waters and shoreline erosion issues that our communities were dealing with. It didn't make it through. So we're really, really excited to see this money reinserted into the recommendation this year. And in addition, like I was saying earlier, a response to the things that have happened. We have 15 million that's going to dam safety for emergency response in case there are individuals who can't pay. We also have 5.9 going to permitting and compliance with another 20 million going to contaminant management. And so looking at the green ooze on I-696 or any of those situations where we've had you know, local communities dealing with contamination by entities that haven't been able to support the cleanup or really identifying who is responsible, this is gonna be really huge, not just to make sure the resources, excuse me, resources are there for cleanup, but also that we have compliance and oversight coming from the from the department as well in these situations so they don't have to manifest into a circumstance where now we're dealing with a major and expensive cleanup or our local communities will have the technical assistance available to them right there to make sure that they have all the resources, I will keep tripping on that word, <laughs> resources to rectify the issues going on. Um, and we're just really excited too. And I wanna say again, thank you to our members who have been really with us for the past two years, building up the momentum, the dialogue, about water infrastructure as a whole, um, especially with that 40 million going to high waters uh, and the resilient infrastructure grants, that's gonna be really great for our communities. Right now we're having more conversations with members of the appropriation committee talking about what that boilerplate really needs to look like. So now that we have the opportunity to access those dollars again, that they're going to be prioritized, especially for those needs. Cause we're looking at really big re resiliency projects. We're looking at maybe modifying where water treatment plan is, we're looking at huge, huge structural investments in areas where we may not have been doing those investments during our last high water period. So we're continuing to affirm those conversations that this money is needed. It is a portion of something much greater than, you know, we can even see because we already have $70 million tracked for last year. And some good news, we have been asked and we will continue tracking those dollars again for the new year. So we do have a new tracker, which I'll drop the link to in the chat where communities can continue like they were before, submitting all of their cost estimates, their damages and repairs, because that information really helps. And I definitely believe we wouldn't be in the position of getting you know, the opportunity to seek such substantial funds if we weren't able to lay the groundwork to begin with and getting that feedback from our members and that constant communication. So I wanna thank you all for all the work that you've done leading up to this point to help us continue having a place in this dialogue and to please continue as well. Uh, one of the great, we've been having great conversations with legislators over the past few weeks about this, and we're getting more questions. We're asking what kind of coastal resiliency projects are folks interested in? Are there communities that are considering changing where their water treatment plants are? How many are in danger of being inundated? You know, looking back a year ago, these weren't the questions that were at the forefront of the discussions we were having with legislators. It really was just how much money is too much money. But now I think there's a full understanding that this is an issue. Our infrastructure as a whole is something that is worth investing in in our state. And especially, there's a lot more that we need to do. So let's start asking even more questions that are anchored in what kind of infrastructure that we can put in place that keeps us safe and is resilient long term. I'm really excited mm -hmm. to see those questions coming from our legislators because I think it's an intention of how we can really be there for our communities. 
So very hyped for the environmental contributions in this. And again, thanks to our members for helping us really lead the charge and the investment in all the things we're seeing here. Yeah, sure. so thank you, Harisana. Hopefully my sound is better. I got some feedback on, but uh, yeah, don't worry about stumbling on words. I stumble on all the words. So that that's that's what I do. That's why I make you guys look so good because I you have me to look at. So I did want to bring Jen on. Uh, Harisana said something earlier. We're seeing funding potentially for, for programs that we haven't seen in a long time. Uh, one of those as uh, one you're kind of following is, is has to do with somebody that's going to Mishta. Can you talk a little bit about what that is and uh, and what this could mean for our members? Yeah, so there is a proposed $10 million to go to the Michigan's Housing and Community Development Fund. The fund was established back in 2008 and um, had an allocation then. And then I want to say, I think it was 2012, it got $3.7 million. Other than that, it's not been funded. It's almost uh, 10 it's, years it hasn't had funded. Yeah, and the fund is <laughs> really supposed to help with the coordination of public and private um, dollars to support affordable housing, as well as revitalization in our downtowns and downtown neighborhoods. So okay. yeah, if, um, if this can get funded, this would be great. Um, I know there's been a lot of work done um, on an annual basis trying to get some money put in here. So hopefully this one will, will make it through. Okay. Jada, I did want to ask you, I understand there's some, uh, also some funding about uh, for, for water uh, support and, and bridges. Uh, uh, also, I don't know if there's anything in there about with roads. Can you kind of cover some of that infrastructure stuff with us? Yeah, of, of course, Matt. And, and I'll actually kind of pick up where Harrisana left off because I think, you know, one of the important things she said there is that there's still much work left to be done. Um, and when we think about infrastructure and, and the uniqueness of this budget is the fact that there is a lot of one-time funds, you know, based on how revenues come into the state and based on, you know, what's happening with long-term projections. And so there's some flexibility to allow us to invest in a way in in infrastructure that we haven't in the past. So whether it's high waters, as Harrisana mentioned, or in some of the things that I'm dealing with directly, uh, specifically dealing with local bridges. I mean, we all know the, the state of bridges in this state uh, is, is not good uh, by and large. And there are literally hundreds, if not thousands of bridges across the state um, in disrepair and in critical condition. So the governor has identified 300 million in one-time funding that will fix or repair or replace 120 local bridges across the state, um, which is tremendous. It's modeled after a current program that they're running on a pilot basis called the Bridge Bundlers Program. I know the city of Lapeer is participating in that along with a few county road commissions. And then the governor continues to push her water infrastructure investment specifically in this budget uh, with $290 million in grant funding specifically tied more to the wastewater side than the drinking water side. So again, much work to be done, but nice to see uh, the prioritization of the governor on direct uh, dollars being invested in our communities, which will make huge differences for them. Okay, we did get a question came in of the panelists, um, probably for you or Chris, have you heard any ETA from Treasury for the final calculation slash payments for the and I can't say the acronym PS Public Safety Public Health Payroll Reimbursement Program. Yeah, there you go. That one. <laughs> so yes, my understanding from Treasury is that they are doing some auditing of the uh, of the original initial payments that went out, applications. And so once that auditing is completed, those random audits are completed, they expect it sometime in March. Um, knowing how Treasury's been, 
we may want to stretch that March or April uh, for that final pro rata payment. But they did have estimates from, uh, I believe, December 28th. They had estimates of what the full amount would be. I believe that uh, you can look at that full estimate uh, from the end of December and you'll be in the ballpark of what, what your final payment will be when it comes in. Okay. Uh, there was also a question regarding the National League of City Congressional City Conference and Mike answered it in the chat. And the question was, uh, were our communities a league member? Uh, which rate do we have to pay? Um, and we believe it's uh, the 199 rate uh, is the one that you could pay as a league member. Um, uh, Mike, you can chime to hop in here if you have any things to add on that. But I'm, I'm guessing other people had questions about that. Yeah, um, it, it, you can certainly send a, a, a question directly to NLC because I'm not the conference planning person. Right. But, <laughs> but I, uh, according to the website here, I'm looking at it. Uh, if uh, the discount to to cities as a as a, a dues pay member of their state league, it would cost you 199 the the total fee for for uh, anyone who wants to attend who's not a, league, a state league member or an NLC member is 260. So that's a, that's a decent discount there. And then if you're a direct uh, dues paying member of the National League of Cities too, uh, the cost is $140. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's very reasonable <laughs> for, a, I think, three or four day conference for sure. Yeah. And I guess the other thing too is the nice thing about it being virtual is that, you know, usually you have to pick a pick which workshop you want to sit through. They happen concurrently, but right. we'll be recording most sessions and making those available after the conference to all of our conference attendees to watch it at uh, your convenience. So if you miss one breakout happening at the same time, you can go back and watch it. Right. Very good. All right. Well, thanks, Mike. Um, so just kind of wrap up here with our Lansing team. Uh, John, I know you and Chris both uh, had some testimony recently or and have some coming up. Uh, uh, John, you were testifying about speed limits, I think the other day. Uh, what's going on with that? <laughs> yeah, I, I was. And uh, if we don't wrap this up in about nine minutes, I'm going to jump off because I got a meeting on it uh, with MSP and the sponsor here at one o'clock. Um, but yeah, I was able to testify in support of a piece of legislation, House Bill 4014, sponsored by Representative Slaw. And we had actually worked with him last session on this too, but just based on timing and some other factors, uh, it was difficult to get moving at the end of the year. Uh, but this is, I will say, part of our progression in slowly dealing with how we set speed limits at the local level. And what we are trying to do in this piece of legislation is, is two things. One, uh, we typically set speed limits around the 85th percentile of speed. And the way the law reads right now is it says you have to round to the nearest number, which is problematic because if the nearest number is higher than the 85th percentile, we actually are pushing cars faster um, and potentially into an unsafe speed. This would allow them to round within that five mile an hour range, allowing them to ensure that we don't exceed the 85th and can, and can be below that. So that's the first component. The second component is some additional flexibility, which we have been working on clarifying in previous versions of legislation that's passed this time. I think we are this close to getting it right with MSP. Like I said, I'll know here in about seven minutes now. Um, but really making sure that we have the, the true flexibility within the law to use an engineering and safety study to assess uh, the public safety needs of a particular context as it relates to the roadway. So we could round the speed limit down 
to the 50th percentile of speed, but no lower. So those two really important changes could make a big difference in how we uh, think about and deal with the context of the local environment. And thankful uh, to Representative Slaw for taking this issue on and working with us so closely on it. All right. Well, th well, thank you, John. I'll let you hop off if you need to. Uh, Chris, I did have a follow-up question for you uh, regarding revenue sharing. How will the 2020 census population numbers come into play as far as potential increases and when? So we're hearing out of the federal government that census numbers may be delayed. Uh, we've heard some of that conversation with regard to how it will impact redistricting. Well, it will also impact um, those, those constitutional revenue sharing payments that are based on uh, per capita. So what will likely happen, again, the, the state's budget year begins October 1st, uh, as, and those revenue sharing payments come out on a bi-monthly basis. So as soon as the numbers are available, Treasury will um, will get those and will build them in. But it's looking like it will be sometime late summer, early fall before those numbers are available for those calculations. So I think that's, you know, as we look at things right now, uh, they'll have an estimate that they're utilizing. Uh, if the state budget goes into effect October 1st and they don't have the census numbers done at that time and available, you'll probably receive a payment um, where you'll receive your payments based upon the existing uh, census data. And then once the new stuff comes in, they will probably uh, smooth it out over the coming payments uh, after that point. Okay. All right. Uh, thank you for that. Um, uh, Real quick, we're kind of short on time. We did talk about the National League of Cities Congressional City Conference. I would be remiss that if I didn't say a week after that is our own uh, capital conference, CapCon, March 16th and 17th. Um, definitely encourage you to uh, register for that if you haven't already. Our, our numbers and, and people coming in, are really have, it looks like we're going to have a really good attendance. Like the NLC conference, it is a virtual. Um, so it, you can uh, do it from the comfort of your own home or office. And then our next Monday morning live will be uh, uh, March 8th. So in two weeks from now, we'll have there uh, our next discussion with our uh, live with the league uh, discussion with our staff. Um, looks like we got one quick question here. Um, I was taken away for a few minutes, but if I heard John correctly, it sounds like we need to speed it up a bit to get the percentile higher. <laughs> I'm not sure what that means. Uh, any thoughts on that? <laughs> So I, I'm I'm guessing that might be a, a, a little joke. bit of a, of a of a joke there. So I <laughs> I appreciate that, uh, Mr. Okay. LeBlanc, and uh, we can always talk about it uh, on the side if necessary. <laughs> All right, good. Well, thank you. Anything else I missed, team? I appreciate your time today, Chris. I just want to remind members, uh, please, if you haven't signed up for our Inside 208 Legislative Blog, uh, that's on the league's webpage on the right hand side, Inside 208. And you know, please sign up. And as as information happens in Lansing, uh, even virtually, uh, we're posting it there so that you can stay up to date uh, and in the know on what's happening. Uh, you know, as as John testifies uh, on speed limits or uh, or Harrisana gets into uh, high waters uh, discussions, or as I'm you know, posted there, we've got the, the upcoming budget subcommittee. So please uh, please make sure you sign up and subscribe for that legislative blog. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you, everybody. Thanks for joining us. And thanks, Mike and Mayor Wild uh, for, for coming in as well. Thank you, Mike. This has been a production of the Michigan Municipal League. For more information on our programs and services, please visit www.mnl.org and join us for the next episode of We Love Where You Live.